welcome to the second episode of Wavelength, the official Brave Weight podcast. I'm your host, Brett Elston, and joining me once again via Skype is... Mohamed Tahir from Kuwait. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I understand you just finished up a trip to Japan. Yeah, it was uh, mostly business trips. I went there uh, discussing new generation series releases with potential clients. Hopefully some of them pan out. And also went to discuss some solo album plans with other composers. So it was a lot of fun. I was following along via Twitter and stuff. Just uh, some of the meetings and people you got to see. It seemed pretty exciting. Um, but and this... I, I think uh, maybe before we head on to talk about Ninja Garden, we should talk about what uh, we should talk about the press um, because uh, US Gamer wrote a big big feature about Brave Wave uh, about basic, basically it's it's kind of a um, what we talked about in the uh, last episode about the formation of the label but in much greater detail and uh, details everything from the reason uh, I decided to make, to make a label to uh, how we ended up having all these great composers and uh, Jeremy Parrish also interviewed KG, KG Amagishi and Manami Matsumai in, in separate interviews talking about their past, about their current project. So uh, it's a lot of new inf- information even for me who I consider myself really knowledge- knowledgeable about their past. Yeah, those articles were, were great. And I mean, yeah, the thoroughness, because we talked uh, for like almost a full hour just about how Brave Wave was started and just, you know, the fact that there's still even more detailed backgrounds that, that a, you know, a composed article uh, can get to that, you know, an off the cuff conversation might miss. Um, it's it's a yeah. very interesting read. So if you're listening to the show, uh, it is 100% in your wheelhouse uh, to go check that out. Um, both the behind the scenes and in those interviews as well. So you can find them on on our website. Just all the links in the show notes at the yes. bottom of the page, bottom yeah. of the episode page. Yes, uh, handy. Just Google Brave Wave Wavelength, and uh, you'll find it. It's good stuff. Yes. Um, but yeah, I guess quick. Note, uh, if you were listening to the prior episode and you're listening to this one as well, uh, we are interested in your feedback. As always, Brave Wave Music on Twitter is a very easy, convenient way to uh, fire off some ideas or feedback, criticism, compliments, anything like that. But uh, as the name of the episode suggests, uh, we are really here to talk about Keiji Yamagishi and Ninja Gaiden. You sent me an interview file while you were in Japan uh, with Alex. And yes. before we get into that, though, uh, we were going to talk, I guess, a little bit about the game itself and kind of what started uh, his career. Uh, it's insane that Ninja Gaiden is kind of his first full compositional game. So it's not like he did uh, a number of other ga- full games before he tackled Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden was uh, his first game. I didn't came first. Captain Tsubasa 1, I think, came first, but uh, he finished Ninja Gaiden uh, first, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing body of work. Even if you go and listen to all his uh, uh, newer releases, uh, like Tecmo Ball, Tecmo Super Bowl, uh, even like Guitaro Man, all of that, Ninja Gaiden is still probably his best and uh, most famous work, and I love it so much. It's just it's it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, I think Tecmo wanted an action game similar to say uh, I don't know Mega Man maybe, and uh, just like Mega Man, the game has just a lot of 
music themes, uh, unique music themes. And of course, it had those unique cinema display scenes, as they used to call them back then, yeah. which are basically just telling you the, the story in a unique way. I don't know. Yeah, at the uh, time, in, in 1989, hmm. like most of the, I mean, NES Famicom games, like cutscenes today, it's just like, well, yeah, every game has cutscenes and whatever. But in, in 89, like with the limited technology that they had, to have these interstitials between the stages because up to that point almost every game was just you beat the stage maybe the score tallies down or up and then at best you get some like this, the in-game sprites doing some kind of you know well oh, we're here on the next stage doing an adventure <laughs> or something and that that's the best case yeah. and then ninja gaiden was this act one act two and these almost commercial break fade outs and then it comes back up with all these custom cutscenes with with new sprites and and like making full use of the hardware, the color palette, like everything to get across the cinematic experience, which at the time was just unheard of to have this level of integration with the story and the action and the stages you're at aren't random. Like, and now you're in the swamp and now you're in the train and now you're over. It's like each, I think Ninja Gaiden one is even better about being a little tighter with them. Cause two and three, there's sometimes when I'm like, why are we in this exact location again? Um, mm-hmm. But one, I feel, is a little tighter with, like, <clears throat> Ryu is here. Ryu is there. He goes here. He goes here. And it all ties together, um, which made it stand out immediately. Like, even among nine-year-olds, when, when which old I was when it came out, we were all just transfixed with this game, playing it over and over. And, yeah, and uh, I wonder what inspired those cinema display scenes, because as someone who grew up with Cap- the Captain Tsubasa games, they did have them. And I think even the first game, which came out in 1988, the same year as Ninja Gaiden, uh, it did have those scenes where every once in a while when you finish uh, from a match, you would have your main guy, Captain Tsubasa, either talking with uh, with your own team, with, with like uh, the different oh, opposing yeah. teams. Yeah. And it has a lot of drama. And, yeah. And, uh, of course, to this day, I, I have no idea what goes on in those scenes, but you can see that there's a lot of drama. And just like you mentioned, uh, all those scenes have total new sprite work, yeah. which is insane when you think of the limitations. And uh, for, for something like Nijigad, it really has a lot of music and uh, a lot of things going on. So to have an entire section just dedicated to these scenes is really, um, I think, really novel back then. Yeah, it seemed like a game that knowing how com- you know home computers work mm-hmm. or like the N64 RAM expansion or random things like that where you're like, this game at the time seemed almost like, oh, how my NES can't do this. Like, how how did they get all this stuff? Because like you said, it's it's already a full game with a lot of music, a lot of enemies, a lot of graphics, a lot of backgrounds that don't really repeat all that often. And then, oh, also, we have all these uh, huge sprite screenshots that we're going to move around and display text and animate them. And it's no wonder that this game became such a hit. And I I played it again this morning just to prepare. And I realized as I was playing it, I'm like, this really was a game outside of Zelda, maybe, or Mario, like, like, or Mega Man, like, like the, the real, like, number one hits of the, of the day, like, this and Ninja Gaiden 2 are probably two games I played the most. I remember so many little things, and like I, while I certainly cannot speedrun the game to any uh, <laughs> notable uh, degree, I still can like tear through it and get to the last stage in m- minutes. And mm-hmm. it's just, and I'm like, man, this game is no- notoriously difficult. <clears throat> and 
somehow, like, I, I just totally forgotten how into Ninja Gaiden I was. Like, I would rent it every week, and it just seemed like the coolest game. And I was trying to figure out why my little mind back then thought it was so cool. And playing it again as an adult, you can kind of see little things that maybe you didn't pick up on. Like, the first stage is in a bar, or, like, the first boss. And mm-hmm. that kind of, like, subtly got across to me, like... At the time, like I knew, nin- oh, ninjas are real things. They're oh, stuff in Japan. Japan is this other country, and but ninjas are real. Whereas like Castlevania and Mario and Zelda, like these are pure fantasy. Mega Man's a robot kid from a, you know, a, a robot planet or whatever. Like you know, yeah. just putting, but this was like this is in America. He's here to avenge his father. As far as games go, especially games of the eighties, it's super grounded, and then gets wacky mm. as all hell as you go, as it should. But of course. it just seems so much like so much cooler. Like I'm not playing as a as a super deformed kid or uh, a cute something or or fighting mythological monsters. I'm I'm a ninja in the streets of America, and I'm here to solve a mystery. And then because of those cutscenes, you're like, oh, there's like a conspiracy, and then you end up in the Amazon, and this this is, this government agency comes in, and there they also know about it. it's like so many layers. It, it's pretty one note as far as like if it was a movie, it would be probably a bad movie. But mm-hmm. as a video game, man, it was just unlike anything else. Yeah, and uh, one thing I noticed when I was playing it today is that the mechanics themselves, like jumping and running, is a lot of fun, and even even like killing enemies. Yeah. But uh, something about the game feels off to me. I'm I'm not sure what. Maybe maybe it's the enemy placements because when I compare Ninja Gaiden to something like Mega Man or Mario, uh, in those games I can see the designer wanting to give me a challenge, but yeah. not making it really super impossible. But with Ninja Gaiden, you can immediately see that. This enemy is placed in here and he's throwing these projectiles just to prevent you from jumping to this spot, to this specific spot. And it's it's one of the weakest points about the game. I'm not sure about Ninja Gaiden 2 or 3, but with the first game, I think if the director or designer, if they just try to kind of focus on making uh, better designed games instead of really hellish games which according to the director himself they were really tough for the team when they wanted to uh, test it to, yeah. to just to test the levels internally and um, another cruel thing is that uh, so the game has you uh, progressing so that if you're at stage 2-1 and then you go to 2-2 two, two, and then maybe there is 2-3 but if you die at 2-3 you get uh, like maybe you have two, three lives, and if you had a game over, you restart all the way back to 2-1, which is kind of fine because it's maybe, maybe it's similar to Mega Man in that you, uh, you either get sent back in the middle of the stage or next to the boss, which is I think is much better. But uh, in the case of Ninja Gaiden, it's really, it feels uh, cruel, especially considering that everything around you just everything that the, the enemies, uh, their patterns, the way they move, the way they attack, it's all designed just to annoy you. As you play, you d- develop this uh, mindset that you know that the game isn't about these enemies just being there uh, for you to kill them, but it's, it's, it's about them being there with another set of enemy. Maybe, maybe it's the flying one, which is the 
awful kind in the game. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Any and, bird and, and bad, it's, it's yeah. just it's a game designed to kill you over and over again. And and uh, you could say the same about Mega Man, but to me, Mega Man is really carefully designed to just be to me extremely entertaining. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't get frustrated like with Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden just makes me so angry. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a frustrating game, uh, no doubt. Especially where I hit the wall is, like you're saying, like six one is near the end of the game, and you've fought Bloody Moth, who's you know this surprise boss uh, that I won't spoil. If somehow since 1989, you have not uh, seen like what how the story plays out of who this character is, but uh, once you beat him, you get into six two, which is this really really long slog of of a stage, and it is really difficult and it is the most like like you're saying like enemies are just it is just spammy where you need to like walk, take a take almost a step at a time to pass the lines in the stage that spawn enemies and then have like a ton of crap fly at you all at once deal with the enemies on the screen and then keep moving to the right because if you accidentally walk to the left and right again they'll all pop up all over again and mm-hmm. like ruining your jumps and like that's where i hit the wall but while it is difficult i feel like this it's it's somewhat forgiving, although that's not the right word for sure, uh, <laughs> in that it gives you infinite continues. So, like, I beat it as a kid, and I can finish it to this day. It's just that last stage, that 6-2, you fight all mm. the way through it. You get to the final boss, Jakayo or Jacquio, or however the pr- proper, I'm guessing, French pronunciation <laughs> is. Um, for a nine-year-old, it was impossible, but he has three forms, and when you beat one, and he kills you, and... The second form will almost invariably kill you unless you're really, really superb at the game. When you go back mm. to the beginning of 6-2, when you fight back, he'll be in his second form. And then if you beat that mm. and you fight your way back, he'll be in his third. So y- if you stick to it, you will finish the game by the you know unlimited continues. But it, it mm. really gets down to like there's exactly like three jumps in the game that I feel are just absolute roadblocks. Where like even if you Google image search like... Ninja Gaiden 6-2. There's, like, somebody has even screen-capped, like, beat this exact part. Like, forget the stage. Like, just try to get past this jump. <laughs> and those are the areas that I still have trouble with. And I, I need to actually, like, study a speedrun and not try to speedrun the game, but, like, what do they do yes, in, yes. Th- in this moment? Um, but, yeah, I... Man, this and Ninja Gaiden 2 were just phenomenal experiences. Um, and I'm replaying it today. It's one of those games where, even though I played it this morning, I'm already thinking, like, yeah, when I go home, I'll probably play it again. Yeah, um, one thing that I discovered maybe uh, sometime uh, last year is that Ninja Garden had uh, an arcade board, which uh, I I don't even think it's a board. I think it was developed at the same time that Ninja Garden NES was being developed, and it has a completely different soundtrack by uh, uh, Ryoichi Nita, who did who helped KG with uh, Ninja Gaiden 1 Plus, uh, composed Ninja Gaiden 2, yeah. and also by Mikio Saito, who ended up composing Captain Tsubasa 2, and then um, went to Konami to uh, co-compose the Castlevania PC Engine game. Is, is it the... Uh, oh, Rondo of Blood? Yes, yes, Rondo yeah. of Blood. And by the way... It, uh, at, at maybe at the end of Cage's interview, uh, I do mention Saito, I do mention Castlevania, and I do mean Rondo of Blood. I think I 
say the different name. But uh, uh, I mean, yeah, Dracula uh, X Chronicles or something like that. I think also yeah. works to a degree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, and I think the Ninja Gaiden arcade game. I, I have it. I have a PC Engine, but I didn't play it yet and i think it's uh, vastly different i'm really interested to see how it plays uh the soundtrack of the nes is 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 vastly superior i think but it it would be interesting to see what tecmo had in mind uh for the um arcade release uh but it's a it's a fun game and it's amazing to see it uh, really popular with a lot of gamers and i think um i think to a lot of people it just it just got into the retro collective mind and that people who don't play these games think that Ninja Gaiden and Mega Man and Mario are all of the same difficulty. They're all punishing games. But uh, for someone who really loves Mega Man, who is good at Mega Man but sucks at Ninja Gaiden, every time I played Ninja Gaiden, I'm just reminded how some design decisions just made all the difference for me because... If Mega Man had you just, if it didn't have any checkpoints, for example, then I probably wouldn't have liked it as much because having those uh, midway point and then the one right before the boss just kind of encourages you to be better because if you can make it to the boss, then it's fine. You can die again and again and you would still be just facing him. While with Ninja Gaiden, uh, if you die at a boss, you get restarted way back yeah. at that stage itself which is really difficult yeah. to to just uh finish again just yeah. because uh, uh ninja gaiden it, i i think it's an ambitious game in that it has a lot of things going on you can uh you can do a backflip and you can uh of course you can run and jump and you can uh wall climb but if you're wall climbing then like well, it's not a wall climb. You don't climb. You yeah. just latch onto a part of the wall, and then you have to like do like this Mario thing where you have to jump to the other wall. So if yeah. you're cli- if you like, if you're if you're latching onto a, 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 a I don't know a wall, you can't go up simply by pressing up. You have to like do this zigzag between two walls. Yeah. So it does seem to me like it has a lot of really cool ideas and just playing it now uh i realized how fun it is to just run and like if you if you have enemies in a straight line you could just like press the attack button again and again and again and you would just not be stopping kind of how uh, it feels when i'm playing Mega man and and just uh spamming the uh buster so it, it it's a fun game but i think uh i think this devious um, <laughs> design. I think it's carried through all the subsequent games, right? Two yeah, and three. Yeah, I think two is the uh, easiest of the three. Um, I think that's the one. I, I I mean, I probably finished that one the most over and over again as a kid. And three, I don't think I ever did. I, three, the U.S. one, they actually added finite continues and made the game overall harder for the Western release. So, which is that's insane. Like the first time I think that ever happened. <laughs> Where they're like, let's make it harder, even though uh, every other game gets like dumbed down when it came over here, practically. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the arcade one, I, I I saw it in the arcade once, and it's the weirdest, like, two... I, I don't know. It's a super random memory, but it sticks out because I was at the Indianapolis 500 in, like, 
summer 1990 or something and was and was like there's a ninja guide in arcade because like back in those there's like no magazine i can i mean there were magazines mm-hmm. but there's no internet and yeah there's no real way and i don't think ninja gaiden 2 had come out yet so i to see an arcade one and i'm like what is this because like you don't really use your sword all that much and you have this like cool flip where you do like a flying neck toss and some of the bosses mm-hmm. look like professional wrestlers of the 80s so it's a very different experience and it has one of the most gruesome game over screens like of all time where uh, it's like Ryu trapped and like wrapped in like brambles or something and there's a buzzsaw coming <laughs> down from the top and it's like counting down like insert coin and as a kid you're like please somebody give me a quarter because <laughs> this guy's going to be murdered on the screen and he's like shaking his head no and you're like like if you think the final the final fight scene where like they're they're wrapped in dynamite and they're like shaking their head, no, no, no. And when you put a quarter in, a knife comes down and you know cuts the fuse. This is so much more direct because you can kind of abstract a dynamite, like, oh, he's going to blow up. That's okay, whatever. But a buzzsaw <laughs> in the chest is just so mean. But uh, yeah. I mean, it worked. Like I was like begging, like, please, more quarters, more quarters. Um, do you remember anything about the game itself, the quality, or do you just have these uh, it, scattered memories of it's it? It's mostly scattered, but uh, it 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 is more of a beat 'em up, like you know, of the era. Like you know, I would maybe not quite Final Fight, but it's that style of game where you just move left to right and. You know, there's a little bit of up and down verticality movement where you're not. It's like a three quarters thing, mm-hmm. uh, not just flat 2D like the NES one. Um, but I, I'm gonna go on a limb that it's a quarter muncher through and through, and is not as good as the NES one. Mm-hmm. And what about the Ninja Gaiden trilogy on the Super Nintendo? Because oh, the boy. only thing that I know about it is that it has limited lie and limited continues, which just defeats the whole design so, of the game. So the NES, the Super NES one, uh, was one of my bigger letdowns as a teenager, uh, probably young teenager. I was probably like twelve. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not even a teenager. What am I talking about? Uh, I forget what year it came out, but it, after Mario All Stars, you're like, oh sweet, they're making a Ninja Gaiden trilogy. This is great. Um, they're gonna like probably redraw the graphics and stuff and make it a cool 16-bit game, which they didn't do. So it just looks <laughs> like the NES game with like slightly different color palette and the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a rare case of just the Super NES being totally misused, uh, we did a VG Empire about this, not this specific game, but just the Ninja Gaiden trilogy on NES mm. uh, back mm. in 2012, which if you want to hear like a good sampling of all three games, I'd encourage you to check that out, uh, VG Empire episode. But in it, I play some samples of the Super NES one, and it is like fanfare trumpets and like xylophones and just taking everything I thought was cool and badass about that soundtrack and just every instrument choice that I would have chosen, it was like the opposite one. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just really, Uh, it's a really bizarre game and it's kind of hard to find at this point, but I don't know. It's just, it's not the way I would suggest to play the games for sure. Yeah. I think it's just simply a much harder way because uh, like if you play Ninja Gaiden on 3DS, and even if you don't use safe states, you could still um, progress a lot in the game. But uh, and that's because you have you know unlimited continues. You could just play again and again and again. But if you can't do that, then it, it just doesn't make uh, sense to me. And uh, I did ask all the Ninja Gaiden composers if they contributed anything to the game, and all of them said they didn't do anything for the music, which kind of explains why it's so. And appealing. 
because none of the original yeah. composers actually was involved in in, in, in redoing those uh, soundtracks, which is really a shame. It was 1995 too, so it was it was late. Like I, I'm looking up the wiki, so some of this may or may not be correct, but it says like the ports don't even have closing credits, mm. which is like wow. Uh, yeah. So do not play that version. Uh, there's also this has nothing to do with any of them, but I as a kid I had the Ninja Gaiden for Game Gear, which is mm-hmm. a completely unrelated game with different villain. Uh, just the physics and everything about it, it feels different. Like when you get hit, you kind of get juggled up and can kind of just perpetually get stuck on one enemy. And if the, it's like if the enemy just stands below you, you will just bounce mm. off of them indefinitely. Um, but it's it's way easier, so I do, I do remember finishing it a lot. Um, but also probably impossible to play anywhere at this point. I don't know that it ever went on like virtual console or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I find really interesting about uh, Ninja Gaiden is that, of course, it has really beautiful art, not just in, in the game, but uh, on the packaging itself, like the yeah. promotional art. And it was done by um, uh, someone named Masato Kato. And Kato is uh, like his 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 resume resume is impressive because he went from uh, working at Tecmo, so he worked at Captain Tsubasa and Ninja Gaiden, and then for Ninja Gaiden one he did uh, all the art for Ninja Gaiden two he did the art the scenario. Uh, I guess he was the cinema display director according to Wikipedia. He was also a director on Ninja Gaiden 3. And then he went to Square and he started writing stories. Yeah. So he wrote, uh, he, he was the secret writer for Chrono Trigger. He helped with the secret for Final Fantasy 7, uh, as well as Xeno Gears, uh, Chrono Cross. He was director, scenario and secret writer, yeah. event planner. So he changed gears to RBGs, which is really very, very interesting. And uh, according to Wikipedia, he was also a writer on the latest The Legend of Legacy. Yeah, I've heard good things. I I haven't played it, but I I have some friends who spoke highly of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've read a lot of people uh, saying good things about it. And I'm kind of an... RBG kick right now, JRBG kick. So I might try that game out. And uh, one thing, uh, KG and myself, when we were discussing the retroactive albums, uh, I don't know at what point I told him, let's make a DMIC uh, version, which is basically, uh, I was at the time, I was heavily into the chiptune scene and I liked how people were making authentic chiptune music. And you can see that uh, just from from a lot of people. Chipzil uses a lot of, uh, basically composes everything on her Game Boy. Mm. Uh, So does Daniel Cannon. And uh, there are people who are using Famitracker. Uh, I think Jake uh, Kaufman used Famitracker to compose Shovel Knight. So my idea, yeah. And my idea was to have, the retroactive albums be this thing where disc one would have all KG's original ah. um, modern sounding tunes and disc two being like the exact same tunes, but uh, authentically demaked into ah. chip tunes. And not, not, not just like, not just 
sounding chiptune but actual uh, NES chiptune. Yeah. So we searched for a lot of people. We hired and rehired and rehired a lot of different people just because uh, we were trying to find the perfect uh, pair. And we ended up working with Alex Maurer, who is the lead composer of Star Mazer and uh, oh, nice. his friend and also Brave Wave Dude, uh, Steve Lakowit, uh, Lakowitz. And um, these two have been working on basically converting all of the retroactive parts, part one, part two, and the additional tracks that KG will make for the CD into chiptune. And then because Alex, Alex Maurer, he previously released an album on, on an actual NES card. So I asked him, can we actually put these NES tunes on on a real Famicom card? And he said, yes, we can. So uh, but then we decided, okay, uh, we're going to have this chiptune, authentic chiptune version, not just being the second disc of Retroactive when it's like fully wrapped up, but also on a limited edition Famicom card. And um, once we got to that part, I asked KG, I think I think at that time, uh, Matt Leon uh, released his uh, uh, interview with KG, Yushizawa, the Ninja Garden director, and uh, Kato, the illustrator. And then I asked KG, uh, well, can we ask Kato to make uh, one one or maybe two uh, drawings for the uh, Famicom card? And Kato agreed. So oh, uh, this Famicom card is slowly becoming this KG slash Ninja Gaiden tribute thing. Because, yeah, that's um, awesome. When we, when we first uh, uh, got uh, into uh, working the idea or the direction of the chiptune songs... Uh, one of the things we wanted to do is, uh, so Alex and Steve like are going to do the whole authentic chiptune demake slash conversion. And uh, the idea at first was to um, use uh, or, or try to mimic KG's style and Ninja Garden and Captain Tsubasa. And then uh, as we delve deeper into the project, we just saw how complex KG's <laughs> uh, new songs are. Because, I mean, fitting... Marco usually, when he's in the mixing stage, he would deal with something like 50, 60, 70 stems or like different tracks to, to, to mix. So compressing that to just five or four channels is insane. So we decided, okay, we're going to upgrade that to VRC6 uh, just because KG himself wanted to... Um, work on an uh, expansion audio chip back in the day, but uh, Tecmo didn't really want to spend the money to uh, uh, put uh, an additional chip on any of its games, unlike Konami and a lot of other companies. So uh, we thought it would be kind of neat to have something as as beloved as the VRC6 chip and and instead of limiting KG's tunes to just the original sound channels, we'd have uh, the, the VRC61, which just produces a much nicer yeah. uh, uh, sound, which is what the Shovel Knight soundtrack uses. Mm-hmm. Jake used the VRC6 uh, expansion to make the whole soundtrack, which I really love a lot. Is that a thing people will be able to grab this year, this Famicom reproduction? 
Hopefully. I mean, I mean, the, the old retroactive albums, we pushed to 2014 and uh, then 2015, and we, re- we released only one part in 2015. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, important. Uh, it's, it's important it releases when it's ready. That's the important part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and the thing is... Um, it just takes uh, KG so much time to uh, finish uh, like the new tracks. And uh, now that we'll release uh, bar two in the next few days, what KG is planning to do is to make uh, uh, maybe two, three more tracks for the CD. So if you buy a CD, like the CD version, you yeah. will have retroactive part one and then part two right after that and then two or three extra tracks just for the cd and of course you the the second disc will be the whole famicom uh, conversion so even like right now steve and alex are working on converting retroactive uh bar two and then we'll be waiting for kg to finish the new tracks for them to uh convert uh i don't even think convert is the right word because it's all manual labor a yeah. lot of work a lot of uh, and actually uh we, we didn't say that in the last episode just because um we had the podcast tune after we recorded the thing, but uh, the podcast tune is composed by our podcast tune is composed by Manami Matsumai of Mega Man One, and uh, Steve took took her composition. It was uh, like techno, not techno, maybe trance slash mic number nine kind of uh, feel, and he converted it to a chip tune yeah. in just a few hours. So um, having someone to be able to do these quick, quick, quick chiptune uh, conversions is just really um, amazing. So KG is still, he, he has a lot of work to do for Retroactive still. Yeah. We kind of have like the idea, everything is ready and we're just waiting for the music itself to finish so we can then move to uh, making the uh, Famicom cartridge itself. And uh, one idea we have is we want to put an audio visualizer in there and uh, we want to create actual Famicom graphics. So it's not just a list of, uh, uh, it's not just a track list where you play the music, Mm -hmm. but like giving you something new to look at. Maybe we'll be... uh, converting the Masato Kato's new illustrations into Famicom form. So cool. it's a really exciting project. Um, kind of weird and, and difficult to, to, to work on it just because uh, there is really no one to manufacture Famicom cards. Uh, mm. And not a lot of people know how to uh, program Famicom code. But uh, I like the idea of, of, of having a, a Famicom composer uh, releasing his music on a Famicom cards. No, it's, it just sounds too good to to be true. Oh yeah, it, I mean, it, it is true. Yeah. getting him back on a Famicom cart with the artists, like all that together, is kind of an unmissable thing uh, for Ninja Gaiden fan. But speaking of Keiji, we're actually going to go into a pretty good interview that's like about thirty minutes or so, where you guys got to sit down in Japan um, and mm-hmm. speak with him, not just about Ninja Gaiden but also retroactive and his plans for the future. Um, so we'll toss to that, and then uh, we'll come back after that for a, a quick tag at the end. But, uh, yeah, let's toss to your interview with Keiji Yamagishi.
This is Mohammed again, and uh, I'm in Tokyo, Japan, right now. Uh, and this is an interview with KG Yamagishi, the composer of Ninja Guide in the Game, which we were just talking about. So with me, Alexander Enyel, the CEO of BraveWave, co-founder of the label. How are you, Alex? Hello, I'm good. Great to be here. And with me, KG Yamagishi, like I just said, composer of Ninja Garden and the retroactive albums. How are you, Yamasan? Konnichiwa, Yamagishi desu. Hello, I'm KG Yamagishi. <laughs> so we will be talking about Ninja Gaiden, the game itself, the music, and then we will move on to retroactive. Uh, for Ninja Gaiden, I'm interested to know how did you start making music, Yamagishi-san, before, before you joined Tecmo? Like what got you into music? Yeah, I had absolutely no intention of ever becoming a professional musician. It wasn't until I had my interview at Tecmo and the president of the company asked me to make music for games that I had even entertained the idea of making music. And when he entered Tecmo as a game musician, was he aware of the game music that was going around? Actually, even though I had no intention of becoming a musician at first, I did like games. Uh, when the Famicom came out, I actually bought one immediately. And even right before I joined Tecmo as a game musician, um, game music wasn't really a thing. And in those early days, uh, I think background music was more noticeable, like those sound effects, the mm-hmm. blippity sound effects. But even, you know, having listened to that, and, you know, right after that, maybe some game music came out, I always considered it to be something fun and interesting to do. Mm-hmm. And his first job at Tecmo, what was it? What, what game? So, when I joined Tecmo, my first uh, assignment was to study up on computer programming. So even though I had been hired to join the company to do sound-related work for them, uh, I had to do my studying for computer programming first. So around for around the first half year that I was with Tecmo, I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But actually, what happened was, after about six months, another sound developer in the company quit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, given that that person left, I had to take over that person's job. So I ended up, um, while doing my computer programming studying, I ended up doing some sound composition for two games for the Famicom, um, Super Ozumo mm-hmm. and uh, Star Force. And Star Force was, uh, was it a original work of his, of his music or was it arrangements? Ah, Star Force was ですね元々あの、Tecmo Okay, so, um, the background with Star Force is that it was originally an arcade game, mm-hmm. uh, that Tecmo made. Mm-hmm. And apparently, in Japan, Hudson, uh, ended up releasing a port of that game. And that port contained different audio than the arcade game. So, when Star Force sold really well in Japan, Tecmo, who originally held the IP, 
asked me to make music for the NES version mm -hmm. of that game. So I guess not the Famicom one, but the NES yes, version yes. of Star Force. Okay. So what I ended up doing was taking the audio from the arcade game and mm -hmm. converting that to some extent work on yes. the NES hardware. Yes. And so after those two games, he started working on uh, Captain Tsubasa, the first game? Actually, um, the first project that was assigned to me, like the, in terms of original projects, was Ninja, Ninja Gaiden. Mm -hmm. However, uh, I was working on Captain Tsubasa at the same time, mm -hmm. which was uh, the second project requested of me. Mm -hmm. And it just turns out that Captain Tsubasa was the game that was finished and released first. Ah. So actually, Ninja Gaiden should have been my first title, but I guess it ended up being Captain Tsubasa. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he was doing both Captain Tsubasa and Ninja Gaiden, was he still working on understanding the, like programming music on the NES or was can he consider himself being done and was just focusing on the music? Yeah, so I actually finished my computer programming studies uh, by the time Ninja Gaiden and Captain Tsubasa came out. So everything that came, everything from those titles onward were all audio that came from my sound programming. Mm -hmm. um, there's one thing I wanted to mention. Um, one of the programmers on the Ninja Gaiden team really wanted drum tracks. Mm -hmm on the in the game so during his research and his studies he ended up trying to figure out a way to implement that kind of sound into the game yes and so that's why there's a drum track in ninja gaiden mm -hmm. because one of the programmers had wanted that in the game interesting in his mind, what's different between making music for a title like Captain Tsubasa and uh, Ninja Gaiden? I know that Captain Tsubasa had a lot of music taken from the anime, but uh, was it all just based on the anime, or did he ended up making just original compositions that are just from him? Yeah, um, I, I did work on them at the same time, but Ninja Gaiden and Captain Tsubasa are very different games in terms of genre and style. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning, I took that into consideration and made their songs separately. I would make this song specifically for Tsubasa and I would make that song specifically for Ninja Gaiden. Um, I wanted to mention that, I mean, Captain Tsubasa does have a theme song from the anime, mm -hmm. and I had to make uh, a version of that for the Famicom. I also had to make the soundtrack for that game so that it would go well with that theme song without sounding very different. Yes. And of course, with Ninja Gaiden, it's a 2D action game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're scrolling right on the screen. So, you know, I had to make music that went with that tempo mm -hmm. properly. And was the team conscious about the game Ninja Gaiden being so hard? Like, when he was making the music, was he trying to make music that kind of wasn't tedious to listen to again and again? Because Ninja Gaiden is notoriously known for being just super, super hard. And if you die at the end of a ward, I think, you get sent back to the beginning of the ward. So you end up listening to the music quite a lot. And uh, I imagine if the music wasn't good, people might just feel tired of it. And and to me, the soundtrack, of course, is phenomenal. It's amazing. But was it something that he knew he had to make just because the game was hard? Or, or did, did he just not think about that? 
。そうですね。あの、実はあの、難易度っていうのは自分が全く、あの、He actually had not even considered the difficulty of the game in terms of composing the general soundtrack. <笑> He did find out at some point that the game is indeed very difficult and That players would be dying,、uh, quite a lot. So he actually designed the, the, the song you hear when you die with that kind of point in mind.、Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, um, what genre, or not what genre, but what kind of music was he into and the kind of music that he thinks influenced him back in the days of Nijigar and Captain Subasa, that, that whole Famicom era? Because, A lot of musicians are inspired by Yellow Magic Orchestra, but I know that he's not. Well, back in those days, I only listened to basically Western rock music.、Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, Yellow Magic Orchestra being Japanese, I wouldn't have been listening to it at the time.、Mm-hmm. I mean, I did listen to that kind of music back in the day. And I did like it, but I actually never consciously like, you know, when, when making any, when making NES and Famicom music, I never referenced that.、Mm-hmm. It, was, would, it was mostly the rock music. Well, that's what I was listening to.、Mm-hmm. But I, I never specifically referred to any、yes. kind of music when composing for、uh, my games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. After that, we went into the sub, Super Nintendo,、uh, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, one of the last games he composed, Guitar Man and Dynasty Warriors, and then he kind of disappeared.、Uh, what was the reason for that? Yeah, well, I mean, to put it simply, I thought that after the PlayStation 2 era,、mm-hmm. That there was no longer any need or demand for the type of music that I was good at making because I started out on the, on those systems where you would have to fiddle with the audio that they can output and then make music based on those sounds.、Um, but that was a generation or the generations that came after that,、uh, you know, that, that need kind of went away.、Mm-hmm. You know, there, the demand for Hollywood like, High quality music、mm-hmm. that you could just make with any instrument,、uh, became more prevalent. And, you know, after coming to that realization, I decided that, you know, I, I can't really do that, you know, to the same degree.、Mm-hmm. I can't make music like that. So, you know, if my music is not needed, I think I'm going to have to find another job or another way of life to,、mm-hmm. to go from here. So that's why I decided to get away from the industry for a while. There are a lot of people outside of Japan who are really into his music, who know the music's inside out, who know everything about the games that he composed. Because from my meetings with a lot of the Famicom composers, a lot of them, including Takashi Tateishi of Mega Man 2, he didn't know that people really liked Mega Man 2 soundtrack. And I wonder what his experience was in that regard. Did he know about the, I guess you could call it fandom in the, in the West with the whole Pixel art movement, the chiptunes appreciation, and、uh, a lot of、uh, chiptune artists coming out and making music with NES hardware. Or did he not know about this?、Uh, I saw a lot of videos on YouTube of people, I guess, covering my music, talking about my music. And I knew 
at some point that there were, you know, a, some, uh, some people out there outside of Japan that really、uh, liked my music and appreciated it. The same cannot be said, unfortunately, for Japan.、Um, I really don't hear much from Japanese fans about the kind of music that I make. So, but yeah, I, I did, I did have some knowledge of it. And with the retroactive album or series of albums, when I approached him about making an album, and because,、um, for those who don't know,、uh, my relationship with Yamagishi-san started when I was working on the first album of Brave Wave,、uh, World One Two. And I asked Yama-san to make one track and he made Memories of Tea, which you can hear on both World One Two and Retroactive Part One. And then after Yama-san made,、um, Uh, Memories of T for the album. I loved it and I pitched him the idea of making a solo album and, and he agreed. So when he was considering making a solo album at the time, what was he trying to focus on? And I think this might be,、um, a tricky thing for him because it's his first solo album. Uh, it's not, it's not just one track in a compilation album like World War II, but it's a whole thing with a, with a theme behind it. So what, What was his intention for it? Yeah, first of all,、uh, yeah, like you said, you asked me to make a song that was very Tsubasa like.、Mm-hmm. And so that's why I made Memories of Tea. So that was completely just for you, <laughs> Mohammed. And, you know, after I made that song, you asked me to make my own solo album.、Mm-hmm. And the first thing I was, I thought was, Really? You want me to make your solo album? <laughs> me? Really? I mean, so I eventually, you know, accepted the offer and it's, I actually had wanted to make my own solo album for a while. And, you know, I, I did start out as a Famicom era composer. So I do think that people do associate me with chiptunes, but I actually am not particularly Uh, partial to chiptunes. You know, I, I actually prefer to make music that's not strictly chiptunes. And I understand that there are people out there who will say, well, it's not really chiptunes if you're not actually generating it from the game hardware.、Mm-hmm. So, you know, taking things like that into consideration, I wanted to make something that did sound like, that did sound like a Famicom game、mm-hmm. that, you know, if, if anyone listened to it, they might be reminded of it, but not strictly a technically a Famicom game in a technical sense.、Mm-hmm. I wanted to use Uh, modern instruments,、uh, to make, I guess, high quality audio,、mm-hmm. um, top level audio that、yes. anybody could listen to that sounded, you know, maybe like pop or modern. So,、mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I really took the opportunity that you gave me and went with it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, the funny thing is at the time, I'm not sure if he knows that, if Yamagishi-san knows it, but when I, when I asked him to make a solo album, I didn't know anything about mixing, about mastering, about any step in the whole planning and production of a, of a music album. The only thing that I knew is that I really just wanted him to make an album and, and I'm glad he went,、uh, with it. And one thing, um, I've been thinking about is what's the difference between composing for a game and composing for a solo album? I know that with a game, you have a director who、uh, might give you、uh, specific instructions, but how does he approach composing these? What's the main difference between making his own music and making some, something like Ninja Gaiden, maybe? 
。そうです。それが一番違いますよね。あの、ゲームは基本的にはその、その Indeed. I mean, the biggest difference was, as you mentioned, the game has a lot of direction involved, and you have to follow Uh, that direction. Um, with a solo album, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do or what I wanted to make.、Um, when making the album, I had to do a lot of,、uh, revisions and had to follow a, a very lengthy trial and error process. I had no idea what was good or what was right or really, I, I had no idea what to do. I mean, One advice that Saito-san gave me,、uh, someone who I worked with in the past,、uh, was that, you know, making music for games, you know, it's a job, you know, above all. It's a task that you're asked to do for your work. So, you know, whether I could put my own personal taste into that music was secondary to how the game was supposed to turn out. And you know, when you make music for games, you're obviously looking at the screens, you're talking to the designers, and you're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. But with the solo album, it's a blank slate.、Mm-hmm. And that, that's really what the most difficult part was at the beginning. I just had no idea what to do. But you know, when part two rolled along, I had more experience with the entire process. And I still knew that I had wanted to make something that combined you know, the elements of pop music with Famicom like music.、Mm-hmm. So, I think in that sense,、uh, working on part two was much easier than part one.、Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was definitely a learning experience for me, and I had to try out a lot of different things, had to do a lot of revisions and whatnot. Right, makes sense.、Um, for those who don't know, Saito san、uh, worked on Captain Tsubasa 2 with Yamagishi san, and then he went to Konami, he worked on a few games, one of them is Castlevania. Extraco,、uh, Chronicles, I think. The Dracula Chronicles. Yeah,、yes. the, the BC engine game. Um, and so, um, the first,、uh, by the time、uh, you guys are listening to this, uh, the pre-order page would have gone up. Uh, you probably by now listened to Chaotic Code by Yamagishi-san. So I want to know from you, Yamagishi-san, what, what made you decide to make Chaotic Code, uh, Single of, of part two. Uh, uh, even though, I mean, uh, unlike part、uh, one, part one we had the single be the first track in here. I think,、uh, you mentioned to me that part two is kind of like a game where you have like first level and then chaotic code is kind of like the final, uh, boss theme of, of the album. And, and what did he want to do with it?、Uh, to me, it's most, I mean, I, I love all of the album, but Chaotic Code definitely stands out to me, and it's my favorite track from both of the, both of the parts, part one and part two. <laughs> You're right.、Uh, yeah, Chaotic Code is the main, I guess, the, the highlight of that album. And I wanted to make All of retroactive actually somewhat game-like. So the, the game influence is very easy to discern and it's very,、uh, easy to hear.、Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the most, I guess, exciting or the most active songs in many games are boss, are boss themes.、Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make a song that was unmistakably like a boss theme.、Mm-hmm. I, I, retroactive part two. Does have some songs in it that are similar to First Contact in terms of composition, but I really wanted to get that boss theme,、uh, feel right with Chaotic Code.、Mm. So, 
Yeah, that's why, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, when you listen to it from beginning to end, or if you listen to it multiple times, it feels like, ah, this is the, the, the climax of the game. This is the highlight. Mm -hmm. This is the most exciting part. Yeah, indeed. So, um, now that you, Yamagishi-san understands maybe the point of a solo album, how you want to approach solo albums and all of that. After the retract to project wraps up, uh, we have, I think that the CD with a few tracks attached to them, and then that, that would be the end of the retroactive series. So after that is done, do you have ideas, uh, whether compilation albums or, 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 or your own solo stuff? Are you even thinking about what you'll be doing after retroactive or not in, ter in terms of your own albums? Yeah. I mean, Mohammed, you have sent me several proposals about what we can do. Uh, after Retroactive is done. And mm -hmm. like I did tell you, I am uh, quite interested in continuing to work together. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really told you this in great detail yet, but I have been talking to some old composers who used to work at Tecmo with me. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking maybe we can all band together and come out with a compilation album together mm -hmm. uh, with Brave Wave. Um, I, some have, are, some are open to the idea and, you know, I want to maybe get a few more people on board before we really get going. But that's one thing I'm thinking of doing. Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully even if we can get that together, we can put it out this year. Not sure. Mm -hmm. But, uh, also in 2017, uh, I will be celebrating my 30th, uh, anniversary as a game composer. So in 2017, I will have joined, it will, it will have been 30 years to the day. I joined Tecmo mm -hmm. and, you know, in celebration of that, maybe I would want to make a, maybe a new album or do a live performance. I mean, I'm not really sure. And I haven't really thought through it uh, very clearly since it's still early in 2016, but you know, I want to do something. Mm -hmm. should be fun. I'm glad. So in closing, what do you want to say to the people who have been waiting for retroactive people who have been, Loving your old music and your new, new music and are probably waiting for Retroactive 2 to release to listen to all of it. First off, I'm very happy. And I had honestly no idea that this many people would uh, like my music and my album. You know, I want to thank all the people who bought Retroactive Part 1 and are looking forward to Part 2. You know, I'm happy to know that people like it and that, you know, I've received a lot of positive feedback about it. And I just want to say that as long as people continue to like my work, I guess I just can't give up on the world of music composition. So I'm going to keep working hard and I'm going to do my best to make good music. Uh, and I just really want to thank everyone for their support. And I look forward to doing more work in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yamagishi-san. Thank you, Alex. Um, you can follow Yamagishi-san on Twitter at MoreYamasan. This used to be his nickname back in the uh, Famicom days, MoreYamasan. And Alex, CVX Freak. Yes, so MoreYamasan is M-O-R-E-Y-A-M-A-S-A-N. And I am CVX Freak, C-V-X-F-R-E-A-K. And why is CVX? Because uh, Code Veronica was the first Resident Evil game that I played, and not a lot of people like it today, but if it weren't for that game, I wouldn't be into Resident Evil. Mm. 
you know, it'd be nice if we could do something Resident Evil related at some point, right? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> okay, back to Brett. Thanks again for listening to our brand new Wavelength Brave Wave podcast. You can check us out on iTunes where you can review and rate the show and any kind of sharing or rating or anything like that helps bump up the awareness of the show uh, in some capacity. So any kind of uh, assistance over on the iTunes page helps out. You can also go to our blog on bravewave.net. Uh, you can follow news, director blog, the actual page for the Wavelength blog itself where you can find links to the stuff that we do talk about like albums or articles we discussed the polygon article or we might discuss us gamer you can find links to those all on our page on bravewave.net you can also obviously check out retroactive part two which is as of this recording still for pre-order uh but will be out imminently in the first week of february so uh keiji yamagishi's second work on the retroactive series part one has been out for a while now but if you liked what you heard there or you like the ninja gaiden soundtrack and if you're listening to the show you simply must like the ninja gaiden soundtrack you're incorrect if you don't check out on store.bravewave.net, you'll find uh, all the uh, all the Brave Wave albums. But Retroactive Part Two is the new the new hotness that's coming out now. Um, there you can also find links to the Street Fighter Two: The Definitive Soundtrack uh, that I helped put together with Brave Wave while it, during my time at Capcom. Uh, by now, you're probably very familiar with it, but uh, worth a look if you haven't yet. You can also find World One Two and many of our other albums on store.bravewave.net as well. We just wrapped up our interview with Yamagishi-san. Thanks, Mohammed and Alex, for handling that as well. But uh, let's get back to the rest of the show. And again, Bravewave Music on Twitter, bravewave.net, store.bravewave.net, all great places to keep in touch with the show. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. I had a great time even just editing the interview because, like, as I'm listening to these stories, I think I even wrote to you 
uh, separately, like as I'm editing it, like it's pretty crazy that you're sitting there talking to the person who composed this thing that as a nine year old meant so much to me. And it's not a, you know, mystical name on the internet. Like this is a real human being and you're talking to them and actually giving them direction. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I'm still, I'm definitely not over that, uh, as I work with him on the retroactive albums and what's insane about KG is that, uh, for Ninja Garden and Captain Tsubasa, he not only, um, made the music and input that music, that music into the game, like in a, programming it but he also created the sound driver so yeah. he did a lot of significant work in the games and i think i think even for ninja garden 2 even though he didn't compose any track for it he was involved somehow in, in the creation of the sound driver itself so he is a really an important figure at tecmo back in the day and of course an important uh person to us who grew up with these um kind of games and uh, like I mentioned in, uh, in the interview it's insane that it took so long for him to get uh, that recognition that he deserves in the West yeah that's always like heartbreaking slash <laughs> I was gonna say retroactively reassuring uh, <laughs> but yeah it's just it's a mix of emotions when you when you find out like oh I had no idea so it's it's sad that you went like 20-25 years just thinking like yeah I made something and who cares? No one listens to it and probably no one even remembers it to, oh, uh, well, at least now they get some kind of sense of, oh, not only do people like it, but somehow seemingly only in the West has it lived on for, you know, approaching 30 years. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you're, if you're still listening, um, I do realize that I sound a little bit like I'm interrogating him just because I, I, I don't sound cheerful for some reason. Uh, and I only discovered that when I listened to the, uh, uh, the, the edit that Brett sent me. And another thing is I'm really, I'm new at interviewing people. So you will see me. Uh, you have heard me uh, instead of directing my questions to KG, uh, instead yeah. of asking him directly, I would ask Alex. Like I would say, uh, I'm interested, why did he did do this and that? Instead of asking KG directly, like, why did you do, do this and that? So sorry for that. I know it oh, sounds no. weird, but that's. Uh, yeah. uh, I think that's like, I think my first interview because uh, doing the journalism thing back in like 05, 06, like many of my first i'd say several japanese interviews i would like talk to the translator and, <laughs> yeah and, and the, fun, the, the funny thing is um in our interview like alex would talk from keiji's perspective so yes. even alex is talking as keiji but i'm talking to the translator which is yeah. funny man my my absolute worst was i mean it wasn't my fault but at this point i think i'd at least learned to talk to the person just you know assume you know, forget the language barrier, just direct the questions to them. And then the translator will speak for them. But like I had an interview with, uh, uh, Iguchi son from NOA. And I, I forget what it was for, but you know, hugely responsible for things like star Fox and animal crossing. I think those are the two main ones to his name, but I walk in and I don't even know I have an interview with him. I just think it's an E3 appointment probably in 2006. And I'm like, okay, I'm here for my appointment. And they get in. All right, you're interviewing this guy. And I'm like, I have no questions. I have no preparation, and I'm going to embarrass myself in front of a like cabal of translators and PR people, and mm. go in and like just flub the whole thing. And 
with the language barrier on top of that. So I, my, my nervousness and unpreparedness probably just looks like this guy's an idiot. So Whoa. I will carry that with me forever, <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, now I feel good about myself. Yeah, so if that's like your first big one, like or you know one that people are going to read and hear about, then that's great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This was a very Ninja Gaiden but it, episode, but it, it's it's fitting because Yamagishi-san has been so crucial to the success of Brave Wave and and just the past couple years of Brave Wave's activity. So it seemed fitting to have a whole show kind of just singing his praises. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you can follow us uh, Twitter, Brave Wave Music. Uh, we have a blog on uh, Brave Wave as well. And then our store on Bandcamp. All these things are you know ways to keep in touch, ways to follow us or interact with the site. Uh, I'm also Brelston on Twitter. And Mohammed, do you have a Twitter as well? Robokick. Robokick. Is that, is that a Subasa reference or is that from something else? Actually, no, it's just uh, it's something I stole from a T-shirt I have, old T-shirt I have. Uh, uh, I like the name, but it makes no sense. No, it's good. Like, it's easily, it's good to remember, or it's easily remembered. You go, Robokick, I will never forget that. <laughs> and kind of a retro name at that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, taking us out, uh, we'll play another, a quick track from uh, Retroactive 2, just a quick sample, which is... at time of this recording still up for pre-order but the release for it is imminent so uh please do check it out uh if you're a fan of ninja guidance music this is the guy who did it and is still doing good stuff to this day so uh thanks for listening again and uh we'll see you next time